Welcome. You're listening to Live with Michael Bloomley Jr., Episode 54. On today's program, our special guest is author Lee Cockrell. Hello. Welcome back to Live with Michael Bloomley Jr. Today we have Lee Cockrell with us, who's been a, a, a someone that I admire and look up to for a long time. And um, you know, there's several books um, that are you know about leadership that are on the market. I've published three books, as, as a lot of people know. Um, but it's really uh, taking the business aspect, and and he's used to be a former executive at Disney, and sharing that with the people uh, through his book, Creating Magic. And I just think it's phenomenal. Um, you know, Disney is a magical place, and and they actually have an extensive leadership program through Disney. So I'm excited to uh, talk with Lee uh, today, and also uh, for him to share his information with the listeners and uh, his expertise. So Lee, thank you so much for coming on today. Sure, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you, you started off in the hotel business. Um, and so why don't you talk a little bit about your background and, and who you are and, and what, what is creating magic? Well, my background is I grew up in Oklahoma on a little farm. Uh, we were as poor as you could be. We didn't even have indoor plumbing. But my brother and I didn't know that was a problem until we went to somebody's house and had it. So uh, then we wanted it. But uh, I grew up in a kind of a dysfunctional family. My mother was married five times. I was adopted twice. I got my name Cockerell when I was 16. My husband, number four, my brother and I started numbering them so we could keep track of who we were talking about. And uh, uh, he had money. He was a doctor, so I got to go to college, but I forgot to go to class. So I went to Oklahoma State for two years and kind of flunked out and uh, went in the Army, went down to Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, I met a lot of guys in the Army. It, it was actually quite a good experience for me because I really had never met anybody that wasn't white and blue eyes and blonde hair. And uh, I grew up in the 40s and 50s, and it was all you know segregated schools. And uh, we had a school for Native Americans, a school for blacks, and a, black, a school for whites. And so that was a good learning for me. And then I went to Washington, D.C., got a job as a banquet waiter at the Washington Hilton, which opened in 1965. I'd never even been in a hotel, but I got, got I went in there because I had nothing better to do. I was 20 years old. And um, I just uh, tried to be the best waiter I could be. And I, I was lucky I had somebody take me by the hand and teach me the business. And then I got into a management training program at Hilton, I guess because I had a good attitude and I was pretty organized and reliable. Uh, you know, I grew up in a family where you're, you did what your mother said. <laughs> so I was very reliable. She said, be home at five. It was probably a good idea to do that. And uh, worked for Hilton eight years in uh, Washington, Chicago, New York, at the Waldorf Astoria, Los Angeles. Uh, met my wife at the Washington Hilton. We've been married 51 years now. So uh, I'm doing better as a leader because she hasn't left me yet. So that's working out. And then I joined Marriott in 1973, worked for them for 17 years. I became the vice president of food and beverage operations worldwide for them. And then I got recruited by Disney in 1990 to go to France and open Disneyland Paris, which I did and stayed there three years. And then I came back to Orlando where I ran the operations for about 10 years. And then I retired. Now I take naps and talk to podcasts and write books. So that's my life. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Now, you know, it's really interesting, you know, because everybody has a story and, you know, there's always, you know, there's a lot of uh, influencers in the world. I mean, there's just 
unlimited amount of information and technology that nowadays, especially to share with people where people can connect and, and learn from people. You know, I had a very dysfunctional house growing up. I had a brother and sister. I was adopted at birth. There was a lot of abuse and drugs and alcohol in my family, a lot of addictions. And, um, but that sharpened me to become the person that I am. But it's funny how you meet leaders, um, you know, younger in your career, and then, you know, you advance and then you end up interviewing like them like now. And uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, it, I take that as a testimony for others that, you know, everybody has to start somewhere, you know, and um, also the, you know, talking about the segregation and that part of it, you know, I grew up in a vulnerable population in section eight housing. My parents were on welfare and I grew up very poor. And, um, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like, I just grew up with a multifaceted group of people. Like everybody is different. I'm used to that. And so, um, I think that's one of the strengths that I have as a leader is, you know, I can really adapt and learn from everyone, but you know, your circumstances, whether you have the, the piece of information or you know, or you don't in the business setting, these are skills that you can grow such as you have. So why don't you talk about some of those, um, you know, mentors that you've had or people that have helped you to become the person you are and, and really, you know, the interpersonal relationships are so critical in business and the entrepreneurship and, and helping people to become the leader or the person, professional, personal development they wish to become. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, of course, by the time I uh, got into working and away from home, I was probably the most insecure guy in the world because I didn't have a college degree and uh, had kind of grown up in that dysfunctional life. I didn't really know people from other places. I didn't know much about the world at all. When they were talking about Vietnam, when I was down in Fort Pau, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I'd never heard of the place. And it was just amazing how sheltered I grew up uh, in this little community. And then I started there and I got a guy who, at the Hilton, he just took me by the hand. He didn't have to. And that was a good lesson for me that he was willing to teach me what I needed to know and uh, when he didn't have to do that. And uh, then I had those bosses along the way who were not so kind, uh, who were kind of difficult for me anyway, and uh, kind of bullies. And um, I learned from them. And then I worked in New York. I had a guy who my boss took me out to dinner every Monday night and taught me about the food business. He ordered different items. He uh, taught me about wines and uh, all the things about food and beverage at the Waldorf. And uh, I remember one night he, he, he ordered a, six oysters. I'd never ha had an oyster in my mouth in my whole life. And I looked at those things and I was thinking, no way, man. And I remember eating that. Today I like oysters. Uh, lamb, I'd never had a piece of lamb until I was like 23, 24 years old. We didn't eat lamb in Oklahoma. And uh, I told everybody I hated it. And today it's one of my favorite items. So they got me exposed. They made me do things I didn't like, didn't want to do. They bought me a tuxedo. I didn't even know how to hardly put it on uh, because the hotel had formal events. And when I was there working, I had to be dressed right. And uh, all those kinds of things. I mean, I remember my boss telling me, Lee, if you're in a business in a reception, don't drink beer out of the bottle. That's why they invented glasses. <laughs> and if you smoke, don't walk around smoking. And uh, so I got good lessons there. Then I went to L.A. I had a boss who was a real jerk. I didn't like him. He didn't like me, and I quit. And uh, then I had some good leaders. At the Marriott family are incredible. They're really kind. They're nice. They take care of you. I'd gone from a six-day work week 
at Marriott, which was five days. This was like a vacation. And um, a lot of good mentors along the way. I had one who helped me not be so defensive because I don't take things, I take things personally. They go right into my stomach when I think I'm, somebody's criticizing me. And uh, I've really had to work on that. Um, luckily, I'm still married because, uh, you know, I don't like, uh, I'm not a big fan of feedback about my, me personally. <laughs> and uh, so he, uh, every time I did it, he would stop me and say, Lee, we're just talking about a business problem here. I want you to understand the whole world does not revolve around Lee Cockerell. And just work on the, get quit, get over it. And he helped me with that a lot. I mean, probably was why I was had some success because people don't like to work with defensive people and people don't like to be married to defensive people and because there's always my way and I had to be right. And uh, so that was a good, a great boss. And uh, then those are the kinds of people that I was exposed to over the years. And I eventually became kind of, I was a very autocratic leader. I, not even a leader, manager. I, uh, kind of intimidated people, misused my position uh, because I was insecure. And uh, I finally got over that. It was hard for me to trust people, but I finally got to where I started trusting people more and giving them authority, letting them make decisions. And uh, that kind of turned my life around because I decided I was going to become a teacher instead of a big bad boss and try to teach people and show them and send them to classes and have candid discussions with them and, and instead of me worrying about me I started worrying about them and uh, then my career really took off when I got over my own problems so I went through a tough time with my wife she almost died a few years ago I went through anxiety and depression for well about two or three years I still see a psychiatrist because I want to make sure I never go back there I feel 100% now that only happened in the last year it took some time but it's uh, amazing. I thought I could never have that kind of illness. I never thought it could happen to me. I thought I was strong. I'm the toughest guy in the world. Nobody can, boy, when, when you think a loved one's going to die, or your kids or grandkids or your wife, uh, uh, business things didn't bother me. But boy, when it hit home, uh, I went down just like a lot of people do. And I really understand depression today, I think. I used to think it was just an attitude, but I got slapped upside the head with it. And uh, the doctor said we could do talk therapy. I said, no, I need the drugs. <laughs> so I got, I got over it. I mean, it took a couple of years to sort it all out. It was pretty tough and she's okay now. So, you know, those excuses or those experiences, uh, when bad things happen now, it, it can't be any worse than what I went through already. Uh, so uh, the little things don't bother me so much anymore that I uh, just kind of let it go. And because uh, I know it could be worse. So. And I so try talk not to about make other people's lives miserable either because that's easy to do. It's easy to be kind of difficult and rough and push people around. Uh, I think most people wake up in the morning with enough problems. They don't need, need me to make more for them. And uh, so that's what I try to do is my granddaughter told me, Pappy, be nice. <laughs> so I'm trying to be as nice as I can. But half the stuff in my brain says, you know, there's stuff up there. It shouldn't be there. I tell everybody half the stuff in your brain is not even true and it comes out when you least expect it from whatever happened in your past. So good way to think about it. Yeah, I was, I believe in authentic leadership model and basically sharing, you know, things, lessons learned, your life experiences with other people to improve their lives. That's the thing that really empowers me. And, you know, listening to your story, you talk about behavioral health and, 
and uh, depression, anxiety. Um, it's very difficult. You know, I honestly, you know, the number one thing that I want to do is help individuals who are abused and ending sex trafficking and people that are really, you know, dealing with a lot of trauma. That's why I'm running for U.S. Congress in Florida and District 21. Um, to be able to do that on the legislative side to ensure that people don't go through these things. But behavioral health is a big aspect of uh, the culture in America. People are coming out about it, such as you are. Years ago, people wouldn't even admit that. They would be ashamed of it or they wouldn't talk about it. So, you know, I actually really commend you for saying that because these are the kind of conversations and why I'm doing what I'm doing with the podcast. You know, I never thought that I would publish books or, you know, probably you as well when you went out and, and you never thought that these things would occur in your life and they do, but people don't realize the, on the backside, the sacrifice and the commitment and the level of, you know, trauma that you go through and trying to ex achieve success. Success is very finite. I, I try to look at it more as um, faith plus determination equals fulfillment. And that was the motto for the company. I started, as you know, power of one when I published the books and I did the work there and, um, I really love helping people because I think that's where you can really make a difference with your skills and your gifts. But, you know, helping people, you also have to help yourself. And, you know, there is a lot of uh, trauma that goes along with becoming a leader and, you know, making sacrifices and putting others before yourself and, and not thinking um, just about self. You know, in my career, I used to be an opportunist. I used to be a kid that used to think, you know, I'm Sergeant Bloomling. I'm highly decorated. I, you know, I was deployed for this country pre and post 9-11, you know, and I still have an edge about me, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm a hero for a country. Everybody who serves, I believe, is a hero of their families, especially our Gold Star families. But, you know, it's not just about Sergeant Bloomling or, you know, being this or being that. It's about, you know, what, I, what are you able to accomplish with what the gifts you have and sharing them with other people. And I used to be so driven, like, you know, my dad, you know, he, he emotionally and, and psychologically abused me and, and also physically and uh, exposed me to things, you know, that was sexual abuse as well. And the thing was, is that like, I had this chip, like, you know, my dad would always say to me, and this is the first time publicly saying this statement, but he used to always say to me, like, why are you looking at me with those shit brown eyes? He used to always talk to me like that. And like, I had the worst, I mean, he tried to kill me three times the first time when I was five. But, you know, that does something to you as a human being when people, you know, talk to you that. But I was always determined to be nothing like my father and to show the world that, you know, that I'm going to change the world. You know, my life is valuable. And just because you have a monster or somebody that's destroying you, that that is it define who you are. So when you hear other people talk about mental illness and behavioral health issues, you know, these are conversations and this is a major driver of why I'm doing all the things that I'm doing because I want these things brought out in the open. I want people to talk about things that they're going through because, you know, there's different aspects of uh, people's lives. You know, people look at Steve Jobs, for example, and they think, you know, he's brilliant and he's done all these things. Uh, he was fired by Apple the first time, you know, I would have loved to interview Steve Jobs and talk to him about, you know, what was that like for you? To, to be on, you know, the most innovative, one of the most innovators of our lifetime of the world of, you know, of a generation and to be, you know, thrown out on, you know, completely ostracized from something you built. I mean, I'm sure that was very difficult for him, but somehow he found a way, something inside of him and he came out. But so, you know, a lot of things I've done, you know, I used to just be focused on proving everybody wrong, proving everybody wrong, proving everybody wrong. And I still do have a lot of proof and, and I still have an edge, but I'm not an opportunist because, you know, an opportunist used to be like, it used to be just all about me. And that was about the time that, you know, I started the company. I met you, Lee, actually. And, and um, you know, we started talking and 
um, everybody has a different value system. Everybody has different views. And that's what I value about people. And even when someone doesn't believe in your views, I believe that you can find common ground with them. And that, I love that. I love that opportunity to find common ground with somebody. So I'm really grateful that Lee Cocorell, he's on the show with us today, author of Creating Magic, a longtime executive and with Marriott Hilton and also Disney um, on Live with Michael Bloomley Jr. And uh, Lee, why don't you talk about, you know, you know, personalities and you know that leadership what are the skills that you're trying to give people in your books and in the future will you write a book on behavioral health yeah i don't know about writing another book possibly it's a hard job as you know you got to really be committed to when you say you're going to do it because you got to get up and write every day until you get it done do a lot of research but i think personalities is uh certainly uh the one thing I had to learn to do was to really start to trust people and let them make sure I didn't do anything so they didn't trust me. Uh, uh, trust, I would say, is the number one thing. If you're going to lead people that they, they actually, if they trust you, they will tell you the truth. Uh, they'll help you do your job. They will uh, keep you out of trouble if they will be clear and candid with you and tell you when you're making errors. I had a good team at Disney and, for about two years, I had an incredible team, which I had all the people reporting me. It was one, only time in my whole career that I trusted all of them, and they often told me I was making mistakes and uh, I should reconsider. And I, and and what I liked most is that they had the courage to come and tell me that. And uh, and I said, okay, I'll take part of the credit for that because I quit misbehaving and making aggravating people and uh, dressing them down and uh, showing my disinterest and points of view. So that's the main thing. I think being organized, I, I think the two things, if I had to boil it down to two things that are, you need to be, have empathy and you need discipline. Uh, the empathy to understand each person maybe, or try to understand them. And because uh, everybody comes from a different place. You come from a different place than I do. And older people come from a different place than the younger people and single moms and you name it and discipline, the discipline to do what has to be done, making those hard decisions and having hard discussions with people when you need to do it. It's kind of like a mother. My mother was pretty tough. She was very direct. Uh, she always told us uh, we, ne we never had any misunderstanding of what she wanted us to do. It was, she had clarity of communication. And uh, so I would think empathy and discipline are the two things people need to really work on. Uh, uh, the empathy is hard if you don't have it because it takes a lot of time to, and that's usually because you don't trust people. And discipline is being more organized and doing what you say you're going to do and being reliable, credible, and people can count on you and keeping your promises. And that's what I try to think about every day is, am I really doing what I said I was going to do for somebody? Do I show up when I'm supposed to show up? Uh, do I follow through on when I tell somebody I'll do something? So, uh, and I, I've been teaching time management for 35 years because you got to, got to have a system to keep it up because everything's coming at you these days where that's why I think so many people have anxiety. There's so much coming at everybody. Everybody wants it. They want it now. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the pressure, not only society puts on us, but we put on ourselves to depending on how we're wired. So I, I'm trying, my granddaughter kind of told me the most important thing is be nice. So I'm trying to get that right. And then discipline is to stay organized and to write down and do what I say I'm going to do. So when I work with people like that, I, it works out pretty well. If yeah. I you talk about two things. If not organized, it doesn't work out too well. So 
You talk about two things, discipline and time management. And, you know, I was born in Fort Benning. I, my dad was very strict, even though I was abused by my father severely. He was very strict. And, you know, I did learn valuable lessons. And I actually didn't know you served. So thank you for your service, Lee. But, you know, the military provided, you know, I grew up in a military home. So for me, you know, being an army brat, it was like, it was, it was simple in a way because I was used to that kind of rigid structure. But, you know, time management and decision making and direction and being poised under pressure, you know, that's, I think, as a leader, you know, those are things that can be taught, but they're valuable lessons that can really help people. And time management is so critical. I mean, I tell you what, I'm so grateful for the United States military and, and the people who serve this country, people like yourselves. I was in the 1st Infantry Division. I tell you what, I was just so proud to wear that patch. And I got the tattoo with the, uh, says duty first and the 1st Infantry Division insignia patch. And it just, it just means the world to me because I know that people died wearing that patch. And, you know, I was infantry. I was on a Bradley infantry fighting vehicle. And uh, I just, I love this country. I love America and I love patriots because you know what, if, if no one served or they didn't sacrifice, then we wouldn't have what we have today. And that's freedom of democracy and freedom for our country. And that's what I want to help to fight and preserve. But the military just is, teaches you so many lessons. I mean, that really, when your ability to be cool under pressure, I believe is the most critical attribute of a leader because things are coming at you and you have to be able to manage your workload and you can't feel overwhelmed or, you know, you can't bring your personal things to the table because your, your troops, your people are, they have their own things that they're dealing with. So, you know, I think it's important to understand that as a leader and in business setting, as an entrepreneur, is like you said, trusting your people, getting them to understand, you know, I'm building a campaign team and, um, you know, it's a lot of work and a lot of people are volunteering and I'm so appreciative and, you know, you want to pay people, but you got to raise the funds and then you can, you know, so it's like people have invested in me my entire life. I mean, that's how a leader, like I hear your story, leaders have invested in you. You know, I believe that's what it takes and individuals who may be listening to the show or maybe following you, following me, following my career, following your career, you know, what, aspire to write a book or aspire to change somebody or volunteer at your church or volunteer as a nonprofit. You know, it's really important to have a mentor. I was just interviewed on the Mighty Oaks Foundation uh, with Chad Robichaw, who's a, uh, who was a former Marine uh, recon guy and uh, on his organization that he started. And we talked about mentorship and you know, since I had that interview two weeks ago, I, I now I've, I've a lot of things you as a leader, you just kind of process and you do naturally like these things happen and you grow and you're professionally and personally develop yourself and you're always striving for something more, but you kind of like maybe take them for granted. And I always, I'm a very, very appreciative person. That's why I asked you to come on the show because I'm appreciative of the time that you invested in me, whether it's five minutes or 500 hours, whatever the case may be, you know, having that appreciation towards someone else I think is so critical. But, you know, when somebody, the mentors in my life are the reason why I'm here and I never forgot that, but the mentors that are in your life are the reason why you got there. And until two weeks ago, I never really, you know, it was something was triggered in that interview because the focus was mentorship, a lot of it for other veterans. You know, we're talking about veterans and mentorship is, wow, like that is in teaching other people they need to understand, like I understood and I appreciated mentors, but people need to really have a focus and an emphasis on the power of having a leader or a mentor in your life. Like you said, you had bad bosses. I've worked for people that I hated. I worked, I was making six figures and I was working for the president in Virginia. I raised $4 million. The job got moved to Michigan in 2016. I was working for the vice president and I hated working there. I lasted four months and I left. 
you know, it's not just about the money. You have to have good people around you that inspire you, that develop you, that help you grow. And this is the kind of things that Lee, you and I, with our experiences, even though you're much older, but we do come from a military background. These are things that we could share with other people. Yeah, we haven't. My mother, my uh, my uh, wife's dad was in the Navy for 32 years. He was in the class of 44. Went right off to the war, war three weeks after Pearl Harbor, and yeah, we we have quite a uh, understanding of all of those sacrifices. He never talked about it much because they didn't talk about it much. But we went to the 75th reunion of the class of 40, 40. Uh, 42 recently which was amazing there were still a few guys that showed up and uh, wow. that uh, you really see they some of them in wheelchairs and some of them walk straight in like they were in perfect shape so uh, a lot of sacrifice there and uh, to appreciate that so yeah oh by the way I was driving to Fort Benning to talk to the troops one time about five years ago and the highway patrol stopped me for speeding and uh, he said, where are you going, boy? I said, well, I'm going to speak to troops over here. And I got a meeting and he said, let me see your driver's license. You, I opened my, he saw my Disney ID in my wallet when I took out my driver's license. He said, oh, my first job was at Disney. I'm going to let you go today. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, I had a good experience at Fort Benning. <laughs> Uh, we have Lee Cocorell on the line with us, uh, author of Creating Magic on Live with Michael Blooming Jr. Why don't you talk a little bit? We have about five or so minutes left about the leadership program at Disney and people that, you know, the lessons that you were learned and, and how you were able to contribute. And I, I actually wanted to go through the leadership program through Disney about, you know, 10 years ago when I started the business, you know, roughly 10 years ago when I was trying to really advance myself. I'm 41. So like late 20s, early 30s, you know, I had seen it. And it was something that was really interesting to me. I didn't wasn't able to do it. But I've done some other things in place of it. But it's something that's always seemed very, like it was a very good program. Yeah, well, I was there early in the early 90s, where we started focusing on leadership versus just getting things done, you know, that we understood we were going to have to change. The internet was here, competition was high, we were going to have to better have a better uh, approach to our business. And we decided better leadership was the name of the game. You get the right leadership, all the other stuff will happen. And so we started working on that. I developed a document called Disney Great Leader Strategies and some other ones. I'd be happy to send them to you if you want them. Uh, we used that to train the 5,000 managers at Disney at the time. And uh, trying to put into writing and documenting all of these kinds of things, like how important people are how important training is, how important professionalism is, and and being able to verbalize what that looks like in the workplace uh, so that we could get everybody on the same team. Like, you know, in the military, you go on a mission, everybody needs to be on the same team. Uh, everybody's got to be ready to do what they got to do. And that's what, with 5,000 leaders at Disney, uh, that's not easy, as you know. I mean, so we had to really work on it. So we documented that, then we started teaching it and we started role modeling it making sure that we started hiring better people we started dealing with non-performers better we started being more careful when we promoted somebody into a leadership position a lot of those kinds of things and i think over time when you get focused on hiring better training better and treating people better everything gets better and that's including the leadership the guest the guests got better service we got better profits uh, and uh, it's amazing. It all starts with leadership. They can't start anywhere else. We always said the leaders, uh, the customer's not the most important thing. Leadership is. 
And so uh, that's kind of how we think about it in the philosophy at Disney today. Yeah, I think that's really impactful. Um, you know, I took my kids to Disney a couple of years ago and I, I, we live both, you know, both of us live in Florida and uh, I just, it's amazing having that kind of place here. I just, I was just at Disney for Thanksgiving for six days or so. And uh, it's just so fun post, there. By the way, I knew you were there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We should have, we should have got together and got dinner. Next time I'm up there, we'll get dinner. I go up to Orlando. Uh, not that, I mean, not pretty regularly, especially with what I was doing. I just had met with uh, Bill McCollum up there. who was running for governor a few years ago, Florida. I met with him actually that week when I was up there, we were talking about some strategy and things that I'm working on with the campaign and everything. But um, <laughs> I just, Disney is a magical place. And right now it's under a huge transformation. You talk about leadership at Disney. I mean, they're really expanding things. You got the whole avatar thing. They just added the star Wars. I mean, they're, they're really, you know, these kind of principles and philosophies, you know, make a big deal because people are making a huge financial commitment. I think I spent, when I took my two kids, we went for about nine or 10 days. I think I spent between 10 to $15,000. I mean, it was not cheap. Um, it was pretty expensive. And, uh, you know, now I live in Florida and, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier, but you know, these, it can be costly when you're out of state and you're coming here and people, you know, it's, it's a big deal to come there. So, and like you said, you met somebody that worked there. A lot of people are getting jobs there and, and they're helping to stimulate the economy. And it's the number one airport in the United States, Orlando, with so much traffic that's coming through there. And actually there was a, uh, I went to the funeral of a former congressman who actually I think the airport in Orlando was, did you grow up in, you spent a lot of time in Orlando. Been but, here 26 years. Yeah. Well, in Orlando, in closing here, they, um, the airport used to be an Air Force, I think, um, they, where the airport is, used to be an Air Force facility. And this guy, um, I, forget, I forget his name, it's not, I'm not capturing it right now, but I went to his funeral a few weeks ago in Orlando. And he's the one who had all that innovative ideas to, to make that Orlando like an international airport. And uh, it was amazing because it's the most traveled. You know, he employed a lot of military people to help uh, design and build Disney World and Disneyland. Oh, did he? For strategy. Yeah, strategy. And like uh, there are no mosquitoes at Disney because of the way they have controlled the water flow across the property. There's no standing water at Disney. That's how they control it. And that was an engineer from uh, the Army. That wow, that's that's remarkable. I mean, yeah, that. some of the things that they d have done is under uh, is very very remarkable. Hold on, let me find the. Uh, I want to find the the message just so I can give him his credit for it because it's just it's pretty remarkable. The person. Um, I apologize here. No, that's all right. But that just goes to show you there's so many great leaders in America and, you know, what they're doing to help change the world and to make a difference. And um, I just think it's, you know, the leadership ability of a human being. Oh, Lou Fry. Lou Frey. Uh, Lou yeah. Fry. Yeah. yeah, Congressman Frey. He's the one at the Orlando airport that had the vision for all that. And really? that's just remarkable. Didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. So we added some history into this. Hey, we're always learning. The thing about that's what I love about life and interviews and, and this this kind of platform is really nice, I think, and different and unique is we're just trying to have, you know, real conversations with people. And it's not just the talking points, you know, it's really finding out about people because I think that's the most valuable piece of information. Yeah, everybody can get the talking points and after a while they all seem to sound the same, really. But it's the interpersonal things that I'm really interested in. And Leah 
Cocorel on Live with Michael Blumen Jr. Really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, why don't yeah. you tell people where they can connect with you, where they can buy your books, where they can interact with you, and uh, any class, uh, last words of advice or example that you would like to give to the audience. Well, I keep everything in one place because I'm getting old. I might forget where it is. So it's at my website, leecockrell.com. Everything's on there from the podcast to my books. to My podcast is called Creating Disney Magic. It's on leadership management. And um, yeah, I'd say final advice is the same as you would probably give. Don't underestimate what you can achieve in your life. Don't let your brain lie to you and tell you you can't do something. And don't underestimate the influence you have with people. Uh, some of us are don't realize that till later on in life because of maybe insecurity and self-esteem issues and not believing in ourselves. But I've learned and I've seen many people just stand up and overcome that. And uh, it certainly uh, worked for me and apparently it works for you. So uh, you overcame a lot. I've read about your story with your dad and all that. And it's... Uh, it's good. That could have gone either way, by the way, you know, as you know. You could yeah, my life's, I look at my life as a miracle. It really is. And uh, some other family members are still, you know, it's tough. It's really tough. And there's a lot of families in the world that are going through a lot of trauma and diversity. And I just want to help as many people as I can so that they can, uh, they can become who God, you know, intended them to be, whoever God is for them. You know, that's my faith is everything. And so, I'm just thankful for leaders like yourself and other people around the world who believe in me and also are trying to make a difference because, you know, you are what you eat. I believe that, you know, you are what you eat, the people you hang around, the the type of, you know, if you hang out with drug dealers, you're probably going to do drugs. If you hang out with if leaders and innovators and, and entrepreneurs and business owners and wealthy, uh, you know, experienced people, you're going to most likely learn something and, and try to emulate that. It's never too late to get better, so you're on the right track. We all are. Absolutely. Every day is a work in progress. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lee. Have a great day, and God bless. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Live with Michael Bloomling, Jr., which airs five days a week, Monday through Friday. On our next program, we'll have Robert Hyde, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, who is running for U.S. Congress in Connecticut District 5. Contribute to Live with Michael Bloomling Show at patreon.com.